Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright, Life Model Decoy. Today we are talking about Minute 26, which begins with Tony telling Pepper to give herself some credit and ends with Phil... <laughs> Joining us on the show today, author Matthew Costello is back. Hello, Matthew. Hello. Uh, we are thrilled to have you back. I, you know, this season has been really fun. How we've kind of allowed uh, people to just kind of pick whatever minutes they were wanting to talk about, and some people picked five in a row. Some people are kind of all over the place. Uh, we had you on last week to talk about a key minute with Steve, and now we're talking about a minute with uh, Tony and Pepper, and of course Phil pops up right at the end. And uh, so let's just start right there. What did you? What about this minute piqued your curiosity? Um, there, there are. Three things about this minute that I, that hit me. The first um, is the geek moment for me, right? Which is it's one of the few places, and maybe the only place where we refer to life model decoys, um, <laughs> which were a staple of the Nick Fury Agent of Shield series in the mid sixties. Wow. Um, so the life model decoys a little little moment for the the, the Marvel fanboys out there. So that was okay. The the second is. Um, the interaction between Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow as um, Tony and Pepper is it's just charming. Um, I mean, these are this is this is true. Cap would like to watch this movie. This is <laughs> yeah. this is this is Hepburn and Tracy. I mean, this is throwback to movie stars. This isn't great acting. This is just presence on the screen. And it's just fun. Right. Absolutely. Um, and also it is the the coming in of Phil. That's the third piece. Colson, to my mind, Colson is the the um, he's the ideological center of this film. He's the heart of this film. And he is he's us, right? Colson is us. We'll, we'll see this in a later minute more. Um, but he's the one who's standing on the outside of all these superheroes who's looking in, right? We saw him in Thor, we saw him in uh other films with Iron Man, uh, Iron first Man. time in Iron Man, yeah, yeah, right. And he's just he's just kind of on the outskirt, moving in, um, but he's just us, sort of standing there, human, surrounded by these superhuman people who are just stunning, and he's just trying to deal. Yeah, and so I think that it's it's this this the interaction of Tony and Pepper as as sort of super creatures with Phil coming in that sort of foreshadows a lot of things coming up. Um, but I just I, I I just like how charming this scene is. These are just these are pretty people being pretty with each other and pulling it off on camera so that you just want to watch them. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. But Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan made careers out of that in the mid nineties. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something that is incredibly charming about like the flirtation between these two characters who we've, you know, we've seen over several films now as their relationship has kind of developed their working relationship and their romantic relationship. We've kind of seen that development and the way that it's now kind of blending all together. I feel like it's at just a peak point in it. Clearly there's romance between the two. They, they definitely like each other but there's all these little work jokes that we have here about the 12 percent or the 15 percent you know maybe 15 and the way that they play with lines like there's gonna i'm gonna play with that in some subtle way 
eh, it's not going to be that subtle. And then the bit like, uh, you know, next time uh, it will say pots on the tower. And she's like, on the lease. On like, the lease. <laughs> yeah. The, the, it, the lines are scripted so perfectly for the characters. And clearly, like, the, it fits the characters. And these actors play these characters so well. It just, it makes it just absolutely perfect to watch all of this come to pass. There's there's movie chemistry there. I mean, it's, 100%. it's movie chemistry. That's all it is. Yeah. There are, there are uh, it, you know, an unfair share of performers in this movie who are so hand-to-glove perfect for their characters, it redefines their identity as celebrities. And I think Tony Stark and uh, and Robert Downey Jr. are the, one of those central pairs. I think you can make the same case for Gwyneth and, you know, Pepper to a degree, and certainly them together feel like such a natural couple. It's hard to see them in real life on red carpets and things and not imagine, oh, it's Tony and Pepper. Same thing with Nick Fury to the point where Sam Jackson is, is like totally Im- embodied the character that Nick Fury is in the comics and everywhere else. Um, so those, this is one of those scenes that really celebrates it. It's also a delightfully horny minute. Call your mom. Can you bunk over? Like we're seeing <laughs> the kind of, of a financial authority that exists between them that really turns Tony on. And I like that about that. They're they're you know, that the movie isn't afraid to show us these couples that are uh, this couple that is, uh, you know, clearly deeply in love with each other. And it, it certainly makes kind of their overall arc in this film and beyond interesting to watch and, and fun to keep up with. It's also a, a good scene to remind us why these movies work in ways that, that say the Snyder movies don't. Yeah. Right. It's minute 26 and nobody's in costume, right? This is not a movie about superheroes. It's a movie about people who do that or can do that right and we're going to get there we're going to get to spandex clad people beating up on monsters for 45 minutes at the end of the film but in order to care about those people and make that battle worth anything we need to care about who these human beings are well and get that the, that just one minute ago we did see him in in his suit and he was doing some wiring Right. Like he wasn't doing a superhero thing. He was using the craft as a tool. And even this minute saying, look, I literally lifted heavy things like as Iron Man, not as, you know, I saved the world because I'm a superhero. I'm a guy who has a, a really glorified wrench and I was able to do some special things with it. I think yeah, that's, I, 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 that's I can a grab a bobcat. Point. Leave me alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. The other thing that I enjoy so much about this is this continued relationship that we get between Coulson and Pepper, which really started in that very first Iron Man film, where Coulson is constantly trying to introduce himself to her and have these conversations with her, and she has to keep putting him off. And then they finally have that conversation at the end where we learn about S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that good stuff. And it's it's a fun way to kind of have evolved that relationship here to the point where when he comes in, she's like, Phil, like she's thrilled to see him again. It clearly isn't necessarily like she doesn't view all of this stuff as work related. It's just another person in her life who she knows and enjoys. And I love that about the way that we're we're getting these hints of that relationship having been developing behind the scenes over the course of this period of time from the first Iron Man to now. And I, I think that there's something really nice about the way that that plays. And then again, how that also 
plays into what we're going to start getting between Tony and and Phil as far as like the work relationship that's going to be coming up from that over the rest of the scene. But I, I enjoy the way that we're getting, it's not really a love triangle. It's almost a work triangle that we have between the three of them, the way that they're, they all interact. And I enjoy that. We're kind of seeing that develop more, you know, which is also interesting coming back to Pete's point about, about the, the romance and the work language fitting together, right? Pepper and, and, um, Phil can become friends in Iron Man because they're both subordinates, right? He's subordinate to Fury and she's subordinate to Tony. And she's very clear in that film that, that Tony doesn't understand these class lines, right? I can't be seen dancing with you like this. I'm your employee, right? People are going to talk and it's going to cause problems, right? And so she, in some ways, like, takes away the class privilege of Tony, right? So that he is still at a point where he is aghast. You call him Phil, right? He's like the help. <laughs> True. Even after I have leveled you up. Yeah, right. But she's going to level him down so that he will recognize this. Well, so it's, it's, it's really, there's really a humanizing element to it, right? Um, and a, 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 an equalizing element to it. So it's really, I mean, it's a very poignant set of relations. Well, and that's actually an interesting uh, element that I suppose leads to the next, uh, you know, element that I wanted to talk about, which was the fact that somehow Jarvis's protocols get overridden in this minute, which is funny because, you know, Jarvis pops in and is just like, I, I can't stop this call that's coming in, basically. And suddenly uh, we have Phil on Tony's phone um, talking to him. And that's that whole life model decoy <laughs> gag that we have. And then Colson comes in through the elevator. So it's like all of the security breach moments that we continue to have here. But it does make me wonder, again, how that potentially ties into the relationship between Pepper and Colson as far as like, how did Colson override Jarvis's protocols? Was it something through S.H.I.E.L.D. or has he and Pepper, have they kind of put something into place? So, hey, you know, we're going to need to talk to to Tony at some point. Can you help me? get in so that we can kind of have these conversations any thoughts on on that element of this maybe it's not just a work triangle maybe it's a burgeoning thruple (laughs) (laughs) you know Um. i i actually think this levels up though i think this levels up the power dynamic discussion in this minute right we have pepper and and tony we have pepper and colson and we also have shield and stark and I think it's important for this minute for Colson to demonstrate, Tony, I know what you think of yourself, but we are one step ahead of you at all times. And you just need to be aware of that, that we're going to use you as part of this thing if you want to be a part of this thing, because you are a useful tool. And that that's kind of the vibe I get from this. I, I've never considered that Pepper was any any sort of, you know, relationship double agent. No, I think it's Shield because Shield doesn't trust Tony. They think he's they think he's a loaded gun that then and you know that's going to go off. He's not part of the Avengers Initiative. He is outside. Coulson is coming to get his advice as a consultant, not to invite him in. They don't want Iron Man because they don't trust Tony, and so they keep observations on Tony. They probably have a constant surveillance on all of his stuff and are working constantly to override his security because they don't trust him. Yeah. The question is, are they surveilling by balloon? Uh, sorry, timely, wow. timely, timely, bit. timely. Sorry, too, too timely. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I asked the question only because 
like I and, and it it isn't really played out in this particular moment or this film, but it is something that I do feel that I see with Pepper, and she has as a character over the course of the films, she has been a character who has seen more potential in Tony as to what he can be doing and should be doing than sometimes he admits or that he sees in himself. And the and it, it again, it doesn't necessarily play in this scene, but I wouldn't be surprised if Pepper had felt that, you know, Tony, you should be helping because you can do these things that other people can't. And, you know, perhaps making it easier for S.H.I.E.L.D. to perhaps get into the uh, into the system. But, I, I mean, again, it, it doesn't necessarily play that way, but I guess I wouldn't have been surprised if that was an element that had been put forth in the in the film at some point. Mm-hmm. Can can we talk about life model decoys as an aside? Can May I broach an aside? <laughs> Sure. Uh, only because it. Matthew, you brought it up, and and um, I also brought it up. I guess we're well. We all brought it up, and uh, I- I'm curious about your take on life model decoys because of the Agents of Shields run, because of the show Agents of Shield, uh, for which life model decoys was a, a central premise that was executed, I think, well as a fan of the show overall. The fact that we have life model decoy mentioned here in the films, we have Powers Booth in this film who then moves on to the film or to the show agents of shield in in his capacity there in the life model decoy storyline is it strange that they didn't uh, you know uh, lean in a little bit harder across the the franchise for life model decoys what's your understanding of life model decoys and how it how, how they they play into this story but I, I don't think they really do the life model decoy was again it was almost exclusively within the agents that the Nick Fury agent of shield books, strange tales that be, and the Nick Fury agent of shield almost exclusively. So it never really reached out into the superhero stories. It never really reached out to the Avengers all that much, um, which would be why we would locate it within agents of shield. One of my favorite sort of versions comes in. And I, I think this is where the agents of shield get the life model decoy story it comes in the end of the 1980s when they do a, a short, high prestige volume called um, Nick Fury versus shield. It was essentially the life model decoys have become sentient and decided that they're going to take over <laughs> shield and destroy everybody. Of course they did. Right. And so it's, it's a, it's, it's really a wonderful miniseries that, that understands its location in the history of Marvel comics and does it very well. Um, and that's, I think where they got the story for the agents of shield. But again, this, this is never anything that really permeated out into the broader Marvel comic book universe. It was really within that narrative storyline. And so Stark making the, the comment here, sort of a little Easter egg joke for the inside people, the coming up in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series made it very relevant. I mean, that was that was where that story should have occurred and would have occurred. Well, and it does make it funnier, I think, even so as an Easter egg for Tony to admit that he knows about Nick's experience with life model decoys yeah. right yeah. like that's that's a joke that colson would get and likely not find funny right a uh, bit of comic banter i like it a lot and i was also a, a huge fan of of that whole storyline but i did not know that it never permeated beyond that i was wondering like how it seems like such a resonant cultural critique uh to have the the sentient former automatons like did, you know take over and the fact that it was you know originally nick fury's brother that was one of the first uh life model decoys and all of that like all of that stuff i think is really fantastic and i'm i've i've found myself curious that they have so many so many 
many mass characters in this movie, the Kree, or in the, the MCU, the Kree and the Skrull and Hydra, that represent uh, a similar kind of cultural gestalt, that it's it's always, uh, it, it has been curious to me why they haven't leveled up on LMDs, because they also have the glory of the technology that would be fun to to see play out on screen. So I guess they did that with Ultron too. So. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the, the, sort of most common storylines, the biggest elements that emerges here is, right, we're not what we appear to be. Yes. Right? And we're, or we're not who we say we are. And it's, it's that is, I think, one of the, the, the uh, great critical elements of, of these stories is that particular version of it that says, this is who we really are under all these masks, under all this, this stuff. Even the good guys Even are the not guys. who they say they are. We're all wearing masks. Yeah. And of course, it's going to come up again when we hit the next version of Secret Invasion, which was all about, right, um, superheroes having been replaced by scrolls for generations. Yeah. yeah. Um, right, right, so right, this right. So is, this is sort of the next wave that's coming. It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a great little critical encounter that keeps getting played over and over and over again. And the LMDs was a wonderful way to do it. And it should have gone broader. Yeah. That would have been useful. It feels like a missed opportunity to me in the cinematic universe. I think it would have been really fun. Yeah. And it seems like probably we're at a point where I, I don't know if it makes sense to kind of find ways to tie it in, you know, with with the stories coming up. I don't know. Speaking of ships sailed, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it worked really well on the television show. So, yeah, played and, well. Yeah. And it's a fun Easter egg to kind of throw in here. It's It's nice to have that little nod here. Yeah. You know, we, it's always fun to talk about Tony and his tech and his little phone that he has. I can't help but want a phone like that, but also feel like, you know, it's for people who like to put privacy screens on their phones. This is the <laughs> worst type of phone for that because it's basically a, a little sheet of glass <laughs> where you can see who it is either way. And so, yeah. I don't know. It makes me laugh. But I love his tech. I just love seeing things like this. And it would be uh, like this idea of a phone that is essentially just a piece of glass in a frame. Like, it's pretty slick. Pretty slick. These are these are similar, uh, you know, later movies uh, and and shows. The Expanse leveled up on these kinds of um, translucent kind of thin film uh, screens. I, I think the peripheral did something with the with these similar devices where you hold them up and you can kind of see through them and the interface is completely dynamic. And I, they're really, really cool. But you're right. Like, they really only work for show. Like, as soon as you put one in a real human's hand, yeah. uh, you, you realize <laughs> just what you lose. So, yeah, fun. Yeah. And it's good for the guy using it. But everyone else around you gets stuck watching what you're doing, too. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, oh, imagine taking it out in a movie theater, right? And like, everything's light on your face, and you're lighting up the back of the head of the person <laughs> in front of you. It's just everything's bright everywhere, yeah. right? Well, I only had one other last little note regarding this phone uh, for this particular mo moment um, in this minute. But the shot where we're looking at the phone and then it rack focuses to the elevator with Colson behind, which is a fantastic shot. First of all, I just love that. But I think it's funny that if you look closely on the phone under Phil Coulson's picture, it actually has presumably his latitude and longitude, which I suppose if Tony knew what that was, he would realize that that Coulson is he's calling from inside the house. He's calling from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's one of those things. As soon as you bring it up, it seems stupid that Tony doesn't recognize his own Latin longitude. 
right? Like, come on, Tony. You know a lot of stuff. You should know where you are by Latin long. But, yeah, well, that's a good question. Like, do you know what yours are? Yeah. I, you know how I know? Because I'm outside your house right now. <laughs> well, I would figure if Tony's flying around with Jarvis, he should have latitude and longitudes right in his ear all the time. Right in his ear. Absolutely. Yeah, right. But uh, don't you think that, like, once you're in that Iron Man suit and you've got the HUD on it and it has all that stuff on it, I mean, you're going to be seeing latitude and longitude probably all day, every day. And it becomes something that's just there that you're not even paying attention to anymore. So, so you're saying that for Tony, Latin long is the equivalent of us not remembering phone numbers anymore because we put them all in our cell phones. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's there if he needs to look at it. All right. But he's not going to look at it because it's there. Okay. Noted. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know if I have anything else for minute 26. How about either of you? I think I'm good. I'm good here. All right, Matthew, tell everybody again about uh, what you're up to, what you've been working on, and where people can find it. Currently, uh, I have an article coming out in a couple of months in the Journal of Popular Culture. on It's called Despondent Superheroes, uh, Cosmic Horror, and uh, Jack Kirby's Mythos, looking at the later work of Jack Kirby. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm on sabbatical. I'm supposed to be writing, but here I am talking to Andy and Pete. <laughs> it sounds like can i just ask i don't want your lat long but i just have to ask every 15 minutes we get a glorious uh a bell uh, choir chime behind you are you in a monastery high in the hills somewhere <laughs> i um unfortunately we have a grandfather clock um that belongs to my wife's parents um that now occupies my front room and every 15 minutes Yep. <laughs> it is It is delightful. You should have lied and said, yes, the monks are here. The that would have been here. enough. It that's would have right. been fine. Yeah, that's why like, you have to be quiet. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm getting dirty books. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, they can't say anything because they're all in their vows of silence. So That's, that's right. right. They're bad haircuts. That's right. Right. Well, it has been a thrill, Matthew. Um, we're going to be talking to you a little bit later in the week about Minute 30. We're definitely looking forward to that. So thanks for joining us today, for sure. It has been my pleasure. And Pete, uh, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 27. So thanks as always. Oh, uh, tomorrow, Phil's folly. <laughs> Until next time, okay. true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.